Great to have you with us. And yes, baptism, that's where we're going this morning. Anyone been baptized yet this morning by the weather? And I should throw a sip of water from the uh, wonderful device that Kip made for us uh, a while or two back. I need to move my microphone. I said to Rachel, don't give me little tips while I'm talking, but she is doing anyway because she's very good at that. Um, okay. Baptism. We're going to be talking about baptism this morning. But it's actually going to, I, think it's, I feel it's really going to time very well with where the service has already gone. That's an amazing song. And I, I, I love what James said there. Do you realize what you're singing there? Take me where my faith is without borders. Have I got the words right? Yeah? Trust me, that's incredible words. Okay, so. Oh, the clicker works. So who took part in the climate emergency, um, what are they, were demonstrations on Friday? Anyone, anyone, anyone go and demonstrate anywhere in Bournemouth? Apparently there's a whole lot of people in Bournemouth doing it, in London, obviously, and elsewhere around. Anyone, anyone do that? No? Okay. Don't feel bad if you didn't, by the way. I didn't either. I was, uh, I was running a business workshop that morning, and a couple of people turned up to the workshop, and they said, you know, ooh, we, we, we weren't sure. Maybe we should go to the protest, or maybe we should come to the workshop instead. They decided to come to the workshop, obviously, much more valuable to them. But they decided what to make themselves available for. For them, it was really important. For people who are protesting, it's really important that they get out there, and they're making themselves available to protest for something. And what, what, makes, what do you make yourself available for? Do you make yourself available for... Um, sport, playing sport, do you make available yourself for, for watching sport? Do you make yourself available for eating and drinking? What, what's important? Do you make yourself available for coming to church on a Sunday morning? Are you available to God? That's what the song was saying there. Take me deeper. I'm available, God. I am available to you. Take me, take me where you would, would have me. And Andy McCulloch was a speaker at West Point this year. And one of the things that he talked about, uh, those of you who are there may remember, he talked about going to the other side. And he, it was a great talk about uh, it was a story of Jesus uh, taking his disciples across the lake and there was the storm. And the whole talk was really about challenging us. Are we willing to go to the other side? Are we willing to be available to go where God would have us? And that doesn't necessarily mean go to another country, go to another town even. It might just mean crossing the road. It might just mean being available to God. And, and he asked people to stand. And actually, the year before, um, Guy Miller, who leads commission, said, said something similar. And both those years, I stood up because I want to say to God, it's really important. I'm available. And, and I want to act that physically by standing up. Because what we do physically can have an, it's important. We're talking about baptism shortly, which is a physical act. So I'm declaring, I want to be available. I'm available to you, God. Take me where you would have me go. Are we available to God? We're talking about baptism this morning, and we're going to talk it through just through the, uh, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. Now, some of you may be familiar with Philip and the Ethiopian story from Acts 8. Let's read it through. And then we'll go through it. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, 
goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, until, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the unit was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So that's the story of Philip meeting the Ethiopian on the road. I'm sure it's one that many of you are familiar with. Who was Philip? Philip was a deacon. He's referred to a little bit earlier on in Acts. He's one of the deacons that was appointed. So there is a Philip the disciple. This is not, this is a different Philip. Philip the um, the deacon, he was one, one of the seven, as with Stephen and others. Who, and he was available to God because the church there said, well, we need some guys to well, basically wait on tables to do the practical stuff. And Philip and Stephen and others were available. They made themselves available and said, yeah, we're happy to do that. They were chosen, but they had to be willing to be chosen. They had to be available to be chosen. And they were available to work on tables. And... Shortly after that, sometime after that, I'm not quite sure what the time scale was, but Stephen was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And then there was a scattering of the church. The, uh, the apostles were able to stay in Jerusalem, but many others scattered out of Jerusalem. It was a spreading of the church. And Philip went off to Samaria. If you're familiar with uh, the Samaria, some of you will be familiar with that. So you've got Samaritans, and they were sort of Jewish, but not quite. They were an impure sort of Jewish offshoot, and they believed some different things. It was quite a tricky area to go to. Philip went into Samaria. He preached the gospel. This is in the early part of Acts 8. And he saw results. People came to faith. Uh, so 
Where are we? Have a verse here. Never mind. Uh, yes. Yeah, so no. Okay. So this is Acts 8. But they believed Philip when he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and baptized. Simon was a sorcerer. So Philip went into that area and was baptizing others and preaching the gospel, seeing people come to faith and baptizing them. Now, we can reasonably assume that Philip himself had been baptized. It doesn't tell us. As we came here this morning, Rachel says to me, were the apostles baptized? I don't think there's any actual record of the apostles being baptized. Um, we can assume that they were. And, and there's no record of Philip being baptized, but we can assume that we, he was because through the early church, turning to God, repentance and baptism went hand in hand. When Peter spoke at Pentecost to the crowd and he preached to them and they said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. It wasn't just repent. It wasn't just turn to Jesus. It wasn't just leave. Repent and be baptized. The two things went hand in hand. And about 3,000 were added to that number. 3,000 were baptized that day. It says those who accepted his message were baptized. 3,000 baptized in one day. That's quite a big baptistry. So Philip came from a background where baptism was very much part of the journey of Christian faith. And in those, at that point, baptism was immediate. Now, I've got a number of points to go through about baptism, 10 different points here. And this is the only one that looks backwards into the past tense. Baptism was immediate. Because we've changed that in our culture. Baptism isn't so immediate now. We, we're having a baptism service in uh, about a month's time. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and we encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, to think seriously about being baptized. But it may not be immediate you're coming to faith. I mean, it probably isn't if you're already a Christian. Probably for most of us here in the room, when we, became, when we were baptized, it was some time after we came to faith. But the biblical model is actually the baptism following conversion. So even we haven't got this right entirely. Okay, this, we're, this is, we're still all a work in progress. And, and you know, there's a whole lot of practical issues there, but uh, yeah, we'll deal with that. But baptism was immediate in the early church. It was what they did straight off. So just going back through the verses, I haven't got them on the screen again. So I said Philip was in Samaria. He was baptizing people. He had been baptized. Baptism was part of the journey for Christians, new Christians at that point. Uh, and then the passages had, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I just love that throwaway comment. Now, the angel, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. There's no explanation. What did that look like? Well, tell you what, it, what you know it looks like. You know it looks like Philip was available. Philip was, he was available to go to Samaria. He saw people come to faith in Samaria. He baptized in Samaria. And then the angel, an angel of the Lord comes and says, go, go to this road. And he was there and he went. But he was available. He was available for God to work through his life and to use him. And so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace. Now, in some Bibles it says Candace. It's not actually referring to a name. It was a title given to a particular sort of royals at that time. So he was, he was an official 
in the uh, treasury of the Kandake. And it says, queen, it says queen of the Ethiopians. If you, anyone here got a really strong grasp of sort of mid-African geography and know where Ethiopia and Sudan and Egypt and all those things are? No, fine, well, I'll skip explaining that bit there. Basically, it's in Africa. Uh, on the right-hand side, as you look at the map, it's not actually modern-day Ethiopia, it's probably modern-day Sudan, but it doesn't matter. Technical point. He was black. Probably, he was black. Significant point here. He was very black in a way that would have stood out from the other Middle Eastern community that he was with. And he was an important official. And he would have been traveling with a whole load of people. It says, uh, it says later on that he gave orders for the, for the uh, chariot he stopped. But an important official. He'd been a very wealthy man. I mean, that particular kingdom that he's referring to was a wealthy kingdom. He would have been a very wealthy man. He would have had a whole load of people with him, a whole retinue of people. It wasn't just a bloke in a chariot traveling down the road. And if you're thinking about it, if you've got, if you're mentally picturing a chariot, probably the sort of chariot they mean there was really a cart, the lots of four wheels rather than two. You can be pedantic about it. You want to form a nice mental picture. But him on a cart, uh, this this guy, um, and with his retinue and his servants around him, he would have had his own servants. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. What's a black guy from sort of mid Africa? doing in Jerusalem, worshipping where the Jews do. And he's a eunuch, which basically means that he isn't allowed fully into the temple. And again, we don't, that's not fully explained. We don't know historically why he was there. But certainly the Jewish faith, the sense of the one God, had gone further than just the nation of Israel. And there was a whole community of people who were sort of on the fringes of the Jewish religion, and he's obviously one of these. And he's obviously very devout. He's traveled all the way from Sudan up to Jerusalem. It's not a short distance. Even if you've got a chariot and loads of servants, it's going to take you a little while to get there. And not only has he gone up there, he's on his way back, he's reading the book of Isaiah. So he's very devout. And when it says reading, he probably wasn't, in fact, he wouldn't have been reading it silently, because I don't know whether you know this, but reading silently is really only a fairly modern innovation. Probably in about two or three hundred years that people have read silently. For the most part, before that, people read out loud. So when it says he's reading the prophet Isaiah, probably one of his servants was reading to him the prophet Isaiah aloud. And obviously, Philip could hear this as he got nearer. So the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip sent to the road, he sees the chariot, and the spirit, again, he's being available, the spirit's saying, go, go near that chariot, go near that whole clump of people on the road. It's a desert road, it's pretty much a wilderness, and Philip's demonstrating his availability to God, his availability to listen to the spirit. Now, it's important to remember, just talk about Philip's being baptized, and Philip's also got the Holy Spirit, he's listening to the spirit, but and we'll talk about this a bit more later on, but the, being baptized does not, in the physical sense of going into water, does not confer the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, a bit later on in Acts, uh, when Peter meets some Gentiles, the Apostle Peter, he, uh, he, he's quite, and he's sort of God's persuading him that actually the gospel's from Gentiles as well, he says, these people need to be baptized because they've already got the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So there's clear evidence of people having gifts of the Holy Spirit before they were physically baptized. 
So then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip said, or Philip asked? How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So he's in the chariot going along, and Philip calls out to him, you, I can hear what you, what's being read, do you understand it? No, I don't really understand it. Anyone, anyone read any of Isaiah recently? I know we have, because we're reading through the Bible in a year. Um, I would really encourage you to read the Bible. I know many of us do, quite often. We start, Rachel and I are going through a sort of read the Bible in a year book, but my intention is to go through it over and over and over. Finally, in mid-September, in the depths of Isaiah, I think I found some bits I've never read before. I have, I think over the years I've read bits and bobs of the Bible. I think I've read most of it. Some of it multiple, multiple times. But deep in Isaiah, there's some stuff. I'm thinking, oh, this is unfamiliar. I'm not. Read the Bible. Get the word of God into you. Grow in faith. Allow God to speak. The Holy Spirit speaks through, so often, through Scripture. Get that Scripture into you. That's what this guy was doing. He was reading the Bible, but he didn't understand it. Well, it wasn't the Bible then, obviously. It, it was Scripture, but it's what's become today part of our modern Bible. How can I? As he, as he said, he, um, unless someone explains it to me, so we invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture that Eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And who's he speaking about there? Jesus. It's a familiar passage to us. But the eunuch said to Philip, tell me, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or somebody else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So one of the things that we're doing is this, uh, is, is this series is, re- is equipping us as a church to remind ourselves of the basics, but also equipping us so that we can share that with other people. Mick last week talked about uh, believe and, uh, repent and believe and went through the three circles model, which is one way of helping to share the gospel with people. And we're praying. We know that if, this, if church is going to grow, church anywhere is going to grow, it, can, it grows through God bringing people to faith and using us in that process. The amazing mystery. We are entirely inadequate for the task. But God chooses to use you and I to bring others to faith. But that does require us to be available. That's a word I'm using a lot this morning because it's really important and it ties in with the whole theme of baptism. It's important that we're available and also listening out for opportunities. Now, Philip was placed in this position by the roadside. There's the guy reading the scripture and then the, the guy asked him the question, who is this about? It's an open door for sharing the gospel. Now, you might like to say, well, God doesn't give me open doors for sharing the gospel. Well, the first question there is, are you available? I would like more open doors for sharing the gospel. But the next thing is, listen out for what people say. So in this case, Philip listened to what he said, and who's he talking about? But Philip went on. He began with his passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And that good news clearly included baptism. Because, as we see a bit later on in the story, 
And this ties in with, we've got the verse here on the wall from Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptism is so integral to the Christian story, the Christian message, the gospel message. Verse 36 of chapter 8 of Acts. And as they traveled along the road, there came some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. They're on a desert road, so presumably it was, a, I obviously don't know what sort of size water it was, but presumably it wasn't a bucket. It was presumably a bit larger than that. Um, and we know it's larger than that because he went into it. So as a travel on the road, uh, they came to water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? So he knew just from that brief encounter, we don't know how long he was on the road of Philip for, but presumably not that long, he knew that baptism was a key part of the gospel message. And he made a choice at that point. He made a choice. There's water. Baptism is part of the message. I want to be baptized. Now, the important thing about this point, baptism is our choice, is that you can't make a choice to be baptized when you are eight days old. Now, as a church stream, we do not practice, and many Protestant churches don't, we do not practice infant baptism. I don't want to major on the subject for too long, but it is an important thing to talk about because you know, many churches do infant baptism and they have a different perspective. And I was baptized. I was baptized as a child, well, christened, I think, in the Methodist church. But I wasn't able to make that decision for myself. That was done for me. And you can get into whole discussions and arguments about the pros and cons of, of adult baptism versus child baptism, but it's a choice. We, we believe it, it's very much a choice that you make as individuals. It's part of that Christian journey. Just because you're baptized as a child, as a baby, does not guarantee that you'll become a Christian later in life. It doesn't guarantee in faith. It doesn't. doesn't it, it may be making a statement from behalf of your parents that they're going to try and bring you up in the Christian faith, even though to these days it isn't even that, is it? It's just a cultural thing. We do, we do christening and baptisms because it's what you do. But we are very much believers in adult and when is an adult? What, type, what, what age is right to be, in, to be baptized as an adult? Well, because legally you're an adult at 18, or you can get married at 16. So I don't, I don't understand that entirely, but there we are. Um, so is it 16? Is it 18? Is it, well, actually, it's whenever, I think it's whenever you are, and someone is considered in a position to make that decision for themselves. So there's no absolute age for that. It's, it, it's down on a one by one, case by case basis. But very much it's about being baptized as an adult. When we were at university years ago, Rachel reminded me of this when I was preparing, and, and she, part of our, one of the guys in our hall group was a guy uh, who was trained to be a lawyer, um, and he was baptized as a child, he was Christian. He was, I wasn't there, but apparently they had long arguments with him about why adult baptism was appropriate, and infant baptism didn't really, you know, you should be baptized as an adult. And apparently he came back from one of the holidays, and, and having been resistant to this, he came back from one of the holidays, uh, and I think he basically said, God convicted me over the holidays and I got baptized. That was great. I was, I was baptized I was baptized as an adult the first time I was aware of it. So I, I was christened, as I said, in the Methodist church and went through that. Sort of, my parents didn't really go to church, so sort of I had a bit of an on-off relationship with church. I went to a boarding school that had a strong sort of Church of England ethos. 
so I got confirmed. So I did, you know, I'm trying to cover all the bases here, you know. So, so christened as a Methodist, confirmed as an Anglican, and then I got involved again at university with a sort of free evangelical church. And then, they, and then they, one day they said that baptism, and uh, and we're going to do, and it was explained to me. And yes, I put my hand up. I, I want to get baptized. In fact, the first baptism I ever saw was my own. Because then, then there were half a dozen people getting baptized, and they read out the list and said, Andrew, you can go first. Okay, if you're familiar with adult baptism, I'd never seen that. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what it was getting into. Until, obviously, I was on the edge of the pool looking in. and thinking, I'm getting into that. Right. Another point from this is that baptism is not to be conducted by just the special people, just the elders, just the leadership team, just the vicar or the preacher or the pastor or whatever. Any Christian can baptize any Christian. Go back to the thing about it being immediate. If baptism is really something that should be practiced immediately, then who's the person to do that? It's the Christian that you're with. There's no formula. There are some practical things, like it needs to involve water. That's sort of recommended. Um, but there's no actual formula for that. And it, it's something that we can all take part in. It's great that when we do baptisms, we allow members of the congregation to be involved in, that, in the process. They go into the pool with the person being baptized. So what does this mean, Andrew? Does this mean that if I speak to someone this week and they become a Christian and then uh, and I go and we, I don't know, baptize them in the bathtub or something like that? Is that allowed? What would you say if someone turned up next week and said, here's my new Christian friend and they baptize them in the bathtub? You don't have to answer that. But, you know, but in line with what we've, but in line with what we've just said, how can we object to that? Yeah? So it's, I mean, it's great that we have a formal thing and that we have, you know, you know, the whole service around it and all the rest of that, but it doesn't need to be that way. Any believer can baptize any other believer. So obviously Philip was uh, baptizing and there's no baptism class. I mean, this guy, obviously, he obviously had a bit of a background in, in, in the Jewish faith. He understood the book of Isaiah, was being explained to him, and he had a bit of time. But he hadn't had three, three classes or anything like that. He hadn't gone through a series of tick boxes. And if you are somebody out there, you know, I don't know what your status is baptism-wise. If you're out there thinking, I'm, I'm not ready for this, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've turned away from your sins, you are ready for baptism. You don't need anything else. Okay? You don't need class. Anything like that. Oh, I just thought I'd throw these in because you never know, there might be somebody here who's never actually seen an adult baptism. So this is a couple of pictures of adult baptisms, one from our old church. Actually, that was our really old church in Hampshire. Uh, and then um, one from, well, quite recently, you may recognize that one. Baptism is by full immersion. So as those pictures indicated, baptism means going down completely into the water. How do we know that? What, what's wrong with the sprinkling thing? You know, I made a joke about being baptized. We got here this morning. It rained. We got sprinkled on. We didn't actually get fully. Anyone get fully? Anyone do the Iron Man this morning? I should have asked because they would have got fully immersed. Anyone done Iron Man this morning? No? Okay. They would have got fully immersed in the water. So how do we know that baptism is fully in full immersion? Well, the word baptizo is a Greek word for that. I'm a Greek scholar, not. 
but there's, there's great things called commentaries and stuff which tell you these things. The word means to immerse or to plunge, and it's used in other contexts, non-religious contexts, where it's used in that context, putting things into something else. So it literally means to immerse and to plunge. Uh, it talks here in the passage about the fact he came out of the water. Other passages talk about coming out of the water. Uh, it talks about John baptizing in the River Jordan. He wasn't baptizing next to the River Jordan with a little tub of water. He was baptizing in the River Jordan. So there's plenty of evidence that baptism is full immersion. Is it by going down backwards or is it by going down like that? Or is it by some other method? We have no record of that, to be honest. It doesn't tell us. We have a certain way that we do it. Does it make it the right way or the wrong way? No, it doesn't. It just means that it's the, it's the act. And going down into water, it's a symbol of death. It's a symbol by which we associate with Jesus. Jesus himself was baptized. He was baptized in the River Jordan by um, John the Baptist. Uh, and it's not unreasonable to assume that possibly, probably his disciples or some of them at least were baptized by John the Baptist as well. But he, they go down into water, and you go down into water. This is me, so I'm the one on the uh, the right. Uh, I learned to scuba dive. I qualified as a scuba diver 10 years ago. Then I came to Weymouth, which is great for scuba diving. I've not been in the water since. But I, And I loved scuba diving. I loved being under the water. It's something I always wanted to do, and I got the opportunity to do it. And so for a few months, I, I learned to scuba dive with some in the sea, with someone in, in lakes and things. Um, and the thing about it for me was actually... It was terrifying. And I had to deal with that because your water is death. Curious thing, water, isn't it? Water is life. We drink water. Jesus describes himself. You know, the water of life. And yet water is also death at the same time. We immerse ourselves in water. And it, it's an entirely alien environment. And yeah, scuba diving is great fun, but you are in that alien place. And so in, in baptism, you're going down into water. You are going down, literally, if you like, into death. You're going down into a grave. It's a picture. It's a symbol. It's also a symbol of resurrection because you don't stay there. You come out again very quickly, normally, just down there for a split second or two. Uh, it can be a slightly nerve-wracking experience for some people. And I understand that. And again, if that's something that's putting you off, then please talk to someone about it. Talk to us about it. Talk to me. Talk to Mick, Teresa, someone. someone if, you, if, if being in the water is a real issue for you, then please don't let that put you off being baptized. Let's talk about that and find a way through that. It's a symbol of resurrection as well. It's us identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's also a symbol of cleansing. So, you know, it's a cleansing. We're cleansed from our sin. In Jesus, has already been said, with the, with the picture that was brought, you know, we, we, we're, we're the bride of Christ. We are spotless, but we're spotless because of what Jesus has done for us. Nothing we have done for ourselves. So it's a symbol of cleansing. So, baptism, as I said there, is a symbol. Colossians 2.12, you've been buried with him in baptism, you've also been raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism is also, baptism is also a witness. So baptism is an opportunity to say, I'm demonstrating my Christian faith in a way. So this guy, this, this uh, Ethiopian official, was demonstrating his faith to those who were with him. I was reading through the story. Let's just check that I'm in the right place here. Yeah. So when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. 
Philip baptized him, and that was an active witness to those around. Well, what's going on here? Why is whatever his name was? And we don't know what happened to this Ethiopian after this. There is a record by a historian, uh, sort of a bit later on, that there was a chap in the Sudan area who was preaching the gospel, a black guy. Uh, so is he the same person? We don't know. But God chose to take Philip to the road to meet the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian became a Christian and then went on his way. That wasn't a coincidence. That wasn't just a, oh, that's an interesting little thing that happened. God would have taken that and would have used that for his purposes. There's no doubt about that, even if we don't know what that is. But baptism was a witness in that context to the people there. And baptism, we do it as a witness here. Uh, and I said earlier on about, you know, we have, we have got physical bodies. We are physical beings. Something that God really drew to my attention this summer. Well, what are these people doing in this picture? Listening to a concert, someone's saying? Yeah? Yeah? Okay? I looked through my camera lens and saw that. And I thought, that is not conveying what's going on here. What are these people doing? They're worshipping. It's the same people. What's different? Well, the angle's slightly different, yeah. But what else is different? Arms raised? Okay. We are in a Western culture where we're very intellectual. And I, there was, a, there was a, one of these in our old church, and, and he was always very sort of, not anti, but he was never, he didn't do anything to outwardly demonstrably. But he always said, you know, I'm dancing on the inside. That was the way he described it. You know what, and I've been like that over the years, but increasingly I've started to actually start raising my hands. We are made as physical beings. We will die and leave our physical body behind, but in the new creation we will have new bodies. We are promised that. We will continue to be physical beings in eternity. Physicality is important, and we've lost sight of that in our culture. So I'm personally, in my life, trying to say, well, how can I bring, how can I use more of my body more to express. It's also a witness. Demons uh, are a real thing. and The supernatural is a real thing. Demons can't read our minds. Demons don't know the, what you're thinking inside, but they can see what you're doing outside. You know, we, it's, you know, the, the Bible is very clear that when you take communion, not talking about communion today, we're eventually covering that one. We're taking communion. You are proclaiming the Lord's death. It's a physical act. You're making a proclamation in the physical, but also in the supernatural. And as we use, I would say, certainly increasingly think so, we use our bodies, that has an impact in the physical, but also the supernatural. So that's a challenge for me. I can't change our culture, but I can change my culture. So that's what I'm working on. So I'm not telling you to raise your hands, but I'm just telling you where I am at. The baptism is a physical act. It's a witness. We're doing something. We have to choose to take part in it. Important point to make, baptism doesn't save us. We've already talked about the fact that um, you know, some churches baptize as children, and part of that is because they, part, they think it's a whole salvation journey. Um, I'm not going to argue the theology of that, but that's certainly that's, that's not where we are. We believe very much that uh, baptism doesn't save us. It's part of the journey. Well, if baptism doesn't save us then, Jesus says we ought to do it, so it's a command. Oh, you see there's all sorts of choice, Andrew. So how does that all fit together? Um, it is a command. In fact, I think the next one says that. Baptism is obedience to Jesus. Baptism is a command. 
But it's not part of us. We don't have to do it to be saved. We have to choose to do it. Well, in that case, well, then why do I have to do it? Why do I have to be baptized if it's not actually going to make a difference as to whether I'm saved or not? It's an expression of love for Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Have you truly put your faith in him and you walk in him? Now, I can say as much as I like that I love my wife. But if Rachel says to me, Andrew, I'm really tired. Can you make me a cup of tea? She does say that. Or, you know, or do you mind that the front room needs hoovering? Or, or, you know, she says those things and I say, actually, no. Yeah, I love you, but no. Yeah, I love you, but no. I'm not doing that. That's a contradiction. If you support a football team, then, and you never demonstrate, actually, any exam, any, any enthusiasm. I technically support a football team. I made a choice to support a football team when I was seven, and I still technically call myself a supporter, but I don't have any interest in football, and I've never been to any of their matches. I don't know any of their players or anything. But if you ask me, there was a football team I support because I made that decision when I was seven, and I'll stick with it. But I'm not really a supporter of that football team, am I? I'm not doing anything to demonstrate that. Well, baptism is an instruction from Jesus. Repent and be baptized. Doing it out of obedience to Jesus. Yes, you make a choice to do it, but it's obedience. No, it's not going to save you, but it's obedience. It's love. And the last point for, for this journey, talking about baptism, and it talks at the end of the story there about the, uh, the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. And Philip was immediately transported to Azotus and went off and uh, preached the gospel in that area instead. So Philip was whisked away, uh, and the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Baptism brings spiritual blessing. As I've already talked about the fact, I believe that you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a spiritual aspect to what we do physically. Can we quantify what the spiritual blessing is for baptism? I, I'm not sure that I can. But I know that from my own experience, I was deeply blessed by the act of baptism. And I know for others, likewise. And, and things happen, and it can be hard to quantify. I mean, some of the things that we've said here are a contradiction. You can choose to be baptized, but it's obedience. Some of the things we've sung about are a contradiction. God is one in three persons. And that just doesn't make sense. Our God is the Lamb who was slain. Well, that doesn't make sense. How can God be killed and yet still be alive and be God? All of this, this stuff doesn't always make sense. And for me, this is very much the fact that God is so much bigger than we can imagine. And we have to sometimes accept these tensions. How does this work in my life? There's not always clear-cut answers. We're human beings. We like to tick, or most of us, like to tick the boxes. Tell me what to do to be saved, and I will tick the boxes. Tell me what I need to do in this instance, and I will follow the instructions. And the blessing that God brings to us through baptism, we can't always quantify. So we're coming to the end now, and finishing off talking about baptism. And as I said right at the start, Philip met the Ethiopian on the road because he was available to God. In whatever way Philip expressed it, he was saying, God, I'm available for you to use me. And the Holy Spirit took him 
directed him to an angel to go to the road, directed him to meet the Ethiopians, and so on. He was available. The Ethiopian was available. He, was, he had a sense of God. He was seeking God. He was reading the scripture. And when he had the opportunity to hear about Jesus, he took it and he responded to that. So he was available. As I said right at the start, are we available? Am I available? It's a question I ask myself every day. Am I available to God? I said back at um, West Point, stood up. I want to say I'm available to God. Am I really available to God? It's a challenge to myself. Are you available? Are you available to God, but you haven't yet actually come to that point of, well, you know, I'm really going to put my faith in Jesus. Don't hold back. Allow Jesus to work in your life through your Holy Spirit and speak to somebody. Actually, I want to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not sure you're, you're at that point yet, then talk to somebody. And there's no, like, as with baptism, there's no particular formula, there's no particular whatever. The thief on the cross just said, remember me. He didn't pray a special prayer. He certainly didn't get baptized. But he just said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. You know, we often talk about saying a prayer as a, as a part of the coming to faith journey, but you don't, it, that's not mandatory. It's not in the Bible. God knows that moment in your heart when, you, when it suddenly it clicks and you think, wow, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior, and I want to turn away from my sin. And that is the amazing thing. So where are you? Are you at that point? Have you turned to Jesus? Are you available to him? If you have and you haven't been baptized, are you available to Jesus to get baptized? We're doing it on the 20th of October, a few weeks' time. If you really want to go home and get someone to do it in the bathtub this afternoon or the swimming pool or whatever or the sea, then do. Respond. Wherever you are. And, and there was a lady in a church that I was part of years ago, and she got baptized in her, she was in her 20s, I think. And she, and she was a leader. She was a part of the, she was a youth leader, I think, in the church. Uh, and she set up her baptism and her testimony. And testimonies aren't mandatory, by the way. It's sort of part of what we do often, but it's not mandatory. She said, I, I'm getting baptized now. I'm part of a Baptist, Baptist church, by the way. And she had to be baptized to do the things that she was already doing. And she said, I had convinced myself in my head that I was baptized years ago. But you know what? I wasn't. So for whatever reason. So I don't know where you're at with baptism, but if you haven't been baptized, take the opportunity. Say to God, I am available. And if you have been baptized, then it doesn't stop there. Are you available to God to take you somewhere? As I said, it doesn't necessarily mean going to another country. It doesn't mean going to another town. It might just mean crossing the road. It might just mean when someone says to you, we're short on this particular rotor, can you help? And you think in your heart, I don't really like doing that thing, but you know what? I can see there's a need. That's being available. Are you available to God today? That was a credible song we sang earlier on about, um, what's the first line again? I can never remember the song words. I'm rubbish. Take me deeper. And, and James Hallett, are, are you, are you, did you sing that song seriously? Take me deeper. Take me places, Lord, that out of my depth, but where I will trust fully in you. And I said that can look like all sorts of different things in reality, but are you available to God? I can't answer that question for you. I can only answer it for me. Lord, I'm available to you as much as I can be. Well, it's easy. You shouldn't caveat, should I? Because I can look at things and say, well, if I've got this and this and this, God can take all of that and deal with whatever. Lord, I'm available to you. Is that something that you can say with me today?